Are you prepared for an emergency? You're out on a trail ride and your horse catches a leg on a sharp lower branch. It's bleeding. Do you know what to do next? What are the dangers of having an improper bandage? And again, my goals for you guys tonight is to get some of this information, practice this at home, but the key is we just want you to get something covered on the wound. That's most important until we can get a chance to get there and then put a proper bandage on after we're done cleaning. Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm John Hare. And I'm Renee Hare. We love horses and each week we talk about important stuff you need to know about horses. I always thought if you are prepared for an emergency, you reduce the chances of having one. And when you do, because you're prepared, the situation is not as bad as it could have been. But what does it mean to be prepared? We went to the experts. Our vet, Dr. John Tolley of Bakersfield Large Animal Vet Hospital, invited us to a presentation by Dr. Jeff Hall of Zoetis Corporation. Dr. Hall talks about the most common emergencies presented by horses and how to deal with them. We think you'll find this invaluable. Before we get to the presentation, we wanted to let you know about our new Patreon page. You can go to Patreon and support the Woe Podcast. We are working with the same equipment we started with in 2012. We've been footing the bill for this for five years. Now don't get me wrong, we love doing the Woe Podcast, but many have asked how they can help. And here is how. It's easy. Go to patreon.com forward slash John Hare and check it out. We hope to add a few more rewards. We have a t-shirt and a decal in design that will look super sharp and also prove you support the show. And we want every contributor to supply us with a photo of you and your horse so we can post it on the Woe Podcast support page. There's a link at woepodcast.com. Now back to the presentation. The talk was held in a noisy banquet room in 2015, and I've edited out a bunch of the clanging dishes and coughs, and what we're left with is some good information you need to have in case of an emergency. Let's get to Dr. Hall and find out the best way to handle equine emergencies. This is one of my favorite presentations to give. I really like talking about first aid and, and because for you guys I think it's really practical. And that's my hope tonight is give you some really good useful tips that you can take home and use. I mean we all love our horses but we know, you know, they find ways to get themselves into trouble. I mean, we've all seen that. Anybody who's owned a horse for any period of time knows they, they find ways to get lacerations or cuts or colics or any type of thing that they potentially can get into, sometimes they, they manage to find it. The better prepared you guys are, the better your horses are going to be in these emergency situations. You're going to help out the veterinarian who's coming to help your horse, and most likely you're going to be able to have a much better outcome for your horse if you're prepared. So we're going to run through some things that I put together that I think hopefully are going to be helpful for you to remember. If any of us have ever been to the ER, the emergency room, or you know, you've watched any of the ER shows, as you guys know, the first and foremost thing that happens when you come into the ER is they're checking your vital signs, okay? And so that's no different for veterinarians, for the exact same. I mean, think about vital signs as you know, a book. I mean, it's an amazing amount of information that we get when we do vital signs that tells us tremendous things about the horse and what's going on with them. And they're basic, they're fairly easy to do, and you guys can do this all the time. It just takes a little bit of practice, knowing the skills, and working through it so that in an emergency situation you're ready and prepared. 
Vital signs, pretty straightforward. Temperature, heart rate, respiratory rate. We'll talk a little bit about capillary refill time, which is where we're looking at the horse's gums. And we'll talk about hydration. That's the basics. But these are the skills that I want you guys to hear about tonight and hopefully learn um, so that you can be ready the next time your horse is going through an emergency. Okay? So temperature. Most of us have taken temperatures on our horses. Um, but for those of you who haven't done that so far, um, in horses, we take their temperature rectally. Okay? You can use a standard thermometer, or you can use just a regular digital thermometer. Both of those work. A couple points to remember when you're doing this. Obviously, whenever we're working on the back end of the horse, we all know to be careful about that. So take it easy and take it slow back there. A common question I get from my horse owners is, is it okay for me to put a lubricant on the thermometer? And the answer to that question is, yes, it is. But you want to remember that you put lubricant just on the shaft of the thermometer, not on the tip. Okay, the tip is where the measurement is taken. And so if you give a lubricant too much on the end, you potentially could buffer and cover up the temperature reading for that thermometer. Okay? Just insert it in gently, two to three inches into there. Take your reading from, uh, from that. And the number I want you to remember and take home from tonight the normal range is there, 99.5 to 101.5, but the number just to remember in mind is 102, okay? If your horse has a temperature of 102 or above, that's when you're picking up the phone and calling uh, the veterinarian, okay? That's, that's the important thing, okay? Sometimes they'll get a little excited. Sometimes after work, they'll run temperatures that are around 101, 101.5, but that 102 sign, especially if you're seeing something else, like they're not eating or they're a little bit depressed, that's when you call and start to seeing that potentially there's something wrong. Heart rate or pulse rate, okay. So in horses, average heart rate for a horse is somewhere around 30, okay. So if you can remember that number, that's an easy number to remember, okay. The easiest way to take a heart rate or the most accurate way to take a heart rate is to use a stethoscope. And some of you may or may not have these, but it's easy to pick these up. You can use just a cheap one. And you just take the heart rate just behind the elbow here and listen to the heart and count the number of beats that you see or hear in a minute. Okay, there's a couple other places that you can take heart rates in horses. You can take it in, there's an artery underneath the chin, and you can also take heart rates down at their digital pulses around their ankles. But those take a little bit of practice, and this is something that also takes a little bit of practice, but it's pretty easy to do. As we go through these, one of the things that we want you to do is we want you to practice these on your horses when they're just calm and quiet. So when you have some extra time after you've groomed them or something like that, run through these so that you can do these when your horse is perfectly calm and quiet. Okay? Um, when we listen to horses' heartbeats, it's pretty incredible. I don't know if you've ever seen a horse's heart, but they're large. And horses actually have, just like ours, they have four beats to their heart when you listen to them. Okay? And so two of the beats are hard to hear. So it's normally you're hearing just a lub-dub, lub-dub. Just like it would be if you listened to our heart. But it's important to practice that. You know, I've gotten calls from my clients when their horses are just relaxed and sitting in the cross ties, and they say, my, heart ha my horse has a heart rate of 64 or 60. And they're just looking at you eat, and they're perfectly fine. They don't have a heart rate of 60. You know, you're just counting double beats. This is something to take a little bit of time and practice. So in the middle of the night, if you're anxious and there's emergency going on and you're excited, you can do this. Okay. Respiratory rate, simple. Average respiratory rate in a horse usually sits around about maybe 12, 14 breaths per minute. Easy to count. You can watch their flanks rise and fall. That's probably the easiest way to do it. If they're really breathing fast, you can look at their nostrils. And as their nostrils flare in and out, that's a great way, an easy way to count them. 
but horses' breath rates are pretty slow, so if they're calm and quiet, this takes a little bit of practice just to be able to read things. You'll see us doing this sometimes. How many of you have seen your veterinarian open up the lip and press on the gum? Okay, yeah, a bunch of you. Okay, so that's good. So this is called a capillary refill time. And when, when you look at your horse's gums, it's easy to tell whether or not they're normal. And their gums should look just like our gums. They should be pink and they should be moist. Okay, if they are dry or sticky, if they're changing colors, starting to get white, even gray or red or purple, those are obviously signs that things are getting pretty bad. It's a great indication of how their circulation is going. So we want you to lift up the gums, take a quick peek at that. And then to do a capillary refill time is really simple. Basically, you just take your finger and you press on the gum, you hold it down for a few seconds, and then you release. And then you just count the number of seconds it takes for the white blanched gum to come back to pink. Okay, that simple. And the only number you need to remember is that it needs to be less than two seconds. Okay, so horses that are in shock, and their cardiovascular system is affected, that capillary refill time starts getting longer and longer. Three seconds, four seconds, five seconds. Okay, and that can be a pretty bad sign if we're starting to see those things. So this is something simple, easy. Check their heart rate, respiratory rate, lift up the gum, check if it's moist and pink, push on the gum and count the capillary refill time. The other thing is a quick pinch on the side of their neck can give you an indication of how their hydration is. So this is easy, this is just a skin tent test. So you just pull on the neck, Pull it up and release it. If it stays up and stays form or tinted like this, that's an indication that they're pretty, pretty dehydrated at that point if it's already doing this. Along with this, I bet if you pick this horse's gums up and you felt them, they're going to be pretty sticky and dry. Okay. So all of these things you can put together. So you know, in the middle of the night when you're calling Dr. Tolly on the phone and you say, you know, this is this is what's going on. These are the kind of things I'm seeing. It provides us with tremendous information about what's happening and gives us kind of an indication of the severity of the emergency and we can give you better instructions from there. Any questions on vital signs so far? Does that make sense? Is that pretty straightforward? Great. Yeah. Question on the heart rate. Is it higher sure. for foals? Yes. Yes, it will be higher for foals. As they get larger and larger and larger, the heart rate will come down slower. So, I mean, you can have, you know, newborn foals, I mean, they can have heart rates in the 40s, 60s, even higher. You know, and so again, and they are pretty excitable, so that when you're, uh, when you're listening to them, you, you need to make sure that they're calm and quiet, and then check their heart rate. And, and any other questions about vital signs? Yeah. Well, the respiration just seemed like a pretty big range, 10 to 24. Right. Yeah. It just depends on the horse. Yeah, and so most of them are going to sit in that 10 to 14, 12 to 14 or so. You know, one of the first indications that they're pain in pain and uncomfortable is their respiratory rate will go up. So it's pretty easy to detect, and you, you'll notice it. They're breathing hard and fast. Um, so if you see it in that range, you know, anything above you know, upper 20s, then you know something's, something's wrong. Good questions. Next, the first aid kit. This is one of the most important tools that you guys really want you to carry to have both in your trailers when you are uh, traveling, but also back in your barns or your tack room. I like to have two of these. I like to have one that's kind of like this, that's a, a fairly basic kit, like the ones that we have in the back, that are easily transported, and uh, you can move around with you pretty quickly, but have the basic things that you need in there. Um, and then you can have one back at their tack room that has more supplies, more bandage material, more things that maybe are heavy, and uh, not as easy to carry around. But, Couple keys on this. You'll notice there's bandage material in here. You notice a flashlight, knives, 
stethoscope, thermometer, those things that we talked about to take the vital signs are there. There's a couple treatment um, medications and things. And you'll notice one down here at the bottom, which is called Dormosidan gel. How many of you are familiar with the Dormosidan gel so far? Okay, a couple of you. Well, we've got a couple slides that are coming forward, and I'll talk a little bit more about that and how that might be useful in, in your kit. Any questions about this kit or, or this, um, this supply list? Okay, great. These are really important to put together, and we'll talk about some of the reasons why you need uh, these things in your kit. So, as you guys know, of course, with emergencies, being prepared is so important. Our horses, they can really read us well. They know when you're anxious, they know when you're scared, um, and they read off that and feed off that. So the more calm you are and the more prepared you are for an emergency, the better they're going to be. When an emergency happens, it's great if you have you know, a stall or a quiet area or something that you can move the horse to and keep them there, a clean area that we can work in once the veterinarian arrives, that's great to have. But most important and key is staying relaxed and calm so that uh, um, your horse is feeling that way. Being prepared. How many of you have posted phone numbers and emergency numbers in your barns? Great. Okay. All right. So my goal is for everybody to raise their hand for this. And this is so important because I can't tell you how many times in the middle of the night, someone was out at the barn, maybe they were feeding, maybe they were just driving by the barn, and they had a horse that was in the barn that was colicking or, or was in trouble. And the owner, we couldn't get in contact with the owner, they may not even know the owner, and there was no numbers or any information for that. And so I really urge you to put together, laminate it, post it up in your barn, put your contact numbers, put your veterinarian's, the primary veterinarian's number, a backup veterinarian's number, you know, anybody that you want that you can have there that can handle and help your horse in case of emergency so that they aren't left and we don't waste valuable time trying to get those numbers and get those contacts. The other thing is trailers. This is so important. Um, there are a number of times when middle of the night in emergencies, we had a horse there, we needed to transport it to a hospital, and we either had a trailer with a flat tire or we had a trailer that was working perfectly but we had no truck to haul it. You know, and so then we wasted you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour trying to get somebody there to haul this horse. And that's valuable time. It can make a huge difference in your horse's recovery. Make sure that you've thought about this ahead of time. Make sure the trailers are ready in good working condition. Share trailers, you know, whatever you need to do so you're prepared so you can jump in these and go if we say you know, we need to get to surgery or we need to get to the hospital as quick as we're ready to roll. Dormosidan gel. This is a product that's been out for a couple years now. Um, it's gaining more and more popularity. Um, this is a product that's made by our company. But what it is, is it's a mild sedative that you can give to your horse orally. Dermosidan is a common sedative that your veterinarian uses intravenously when we're sedating horses to do a variety of different procedures. And so this is a diluted form in a tube that's designed to be given in the mouth, actually under the tongue, so it's absorbed in the mouth. And what it's labeled for is basically husbandry, you know, procedures. So if you need to clip your horse or you have it's you're having trouble doing a bandage change or your farrier is struggling with your horse and needs some mild sedation, this is a great, safe way to administer this to your horse um, without necessarily having the veterinarian there. It is a prescription item, so you have to get it directly from the veterinarian, but you can have it for those procedures. But in this talk... One of the things to consider and talk to your veterinarian about is whether or not you want to put this into your first aid kit. So let's say you're out on the trail, you're in the middle of nowhere, 
um, your horse gets a cut or an injury or something is, and is really scared and anxious, and you're having trouble just getting them down the trailer back to uh, getting down the trail back to your trailer. This is something that might be an option to give to them. Very safe, very easy to calm them down, quiet them down, so you can get them moving. So a lot of my clients have these in their first aid kits to be able to do this. So it's something to talk to your veterinarian about and see if you want to add it. Any questions about that, Jeff? What's yes. What's the time frame for action on this? So the time frame for action is 40 minutes. Okay, so it's slower than what we would do IV, but still very effective once you get to that point. Great question. How long will it take effect? Once it's taken effect at 40 minutes, then it takes can last anywhere from an hour and a half up to maybe three hours or so. So you get quite a bit of good sedation. Yep. So is it more effective than ACE? There are different types. ACE is a tranquilizer. This is a sedative. But yes, I would say in general, you're going to have more sedation with this than you would with ACE. Yeah, good question. How long will it stay in my day? Right, right. So each each box has a labeled expiration date on it, and those usually are out at least a year to a year and a half. Nice thing about it is it's great to have, and if you need it for you know some grooming or clipping or a farrier or something like that, it's pretty easy to use and, and resupply your kit. Does it need to be refrigerated? It does not need to be refrigerated. Nope. This is like a benzo type of sedative. So it would lower a heart rate? It, it will slightly lower their heart rate, yeah. But it is extremely safe. Yep. It's potent enough to calm a horse on the 4th of July that treats from the firewood? <laughs> Absolutely. This is wonderful, wonderful for firewoods. I've been giving injections to every so many hours on 4th of July because she'll yep. the Yeah, this is key. The key with this, just like with any sedative, is you have to get it into them before they're excited. Yeah, right. Yep, before they're anxious. Before just like, just like in. Before sundown. Yep, yep. And, and very good for that. Yep. Any chance of ataxia? So the question is, is there any chance of ataxia, which is a, a term for horses being off balance or a little bit wobbly? That can happen with any sedative. This is pretty mild. So each horse is an individual, but in general, very mild for this. Yep. Um, when you apply the gel underneath the tongue, mm -hmm. is there any tips or things you should think about for like maximum absorption or? Yeah. Good. Good question. So the difference with this, one of, one of the common mistakes with this is it it looks like a warmer, and so it's not uncommon for horse owners to get it, squirt it on top of the tongue, and if the horse swallows this, it has zero effect. Doesn't hurt them but it has zero effect if it goes into their stomach, okay? It has to stay in the mouth. The nice thing is that it's a very thin gel. It's hard for them to spit it out, but basically I just take my hand and I just gently run it along the bottom of their tongue just to kind of make sure they're aware that something is happening there. And then you can just slide it up right in the corner of the mouth, right underneath the tongue. Two seconds it's there and they're good. So the only thing you want to make sure is that they don't have a mouthful of food or hay or something. What's the dosage generally? Yeah, so so generally for you know a thousand or eleven hundred pound horse, you're going to use about three quarters of the two. So it's up to I think it's up to like a thirteen hundred pound horse that it can treat. Okay, let's move on, but we can go get back to this if you have more questions about that. Okay, so wounds. I mean lacerations. 
as you guys know, are probably one of the most common injuries that we see or, or first aid issues that we need. And one of the things that I get a lot of questions about is, how do I clean a wound? Or how do I flush a wound? Or what do I use? Or what's best? You know, are there things that potentially hurt the wound? And so we're going to run through those pretty quickly and uh, hopefully answer some of those questions for you. So let's say you have a wound um, or a laceration, uh, and you're trying to decide, you know, should I spray anything on it or should I flush it out? And so the general rule of thumb for wounds is, of course, first call your veterinarian, touch base with them. They're going to ask you some questions and give you some directions. But in general, if it's a clean wound and a fresh wound that just happened, we would rather you just leave it alone and not flush it or, or put anything directly on it until we have a chance to get there. If you have a wound that's heavily contaminated, they got caught in the fence or they've been rolling down in the dirt or something like that and it's just full of debris, then that's when flushing is a great idea. Um, just to kind of get some of that debris and some of that dirt off of it um, until the veterinarian has a chance to get there, look at it, and of course we're going to do more cleaning and more flushing when we get there. What do we like you to use when you flush? Well, as you saw on the first aid kit, there was a um, sterile saline was listed on there. These kits in the back have a little bit of saline in them, and that's the gold standard. That's what we would love for everybody to have, but we realize not everybody is going to have a sterile bottle of saline in their emergency kit. Your clean tap water is perfectly okay. You just kind of flush it, clean it off, get some of the debris off. That's, that's great. Don't worry about doing that. Dilute antiseptic solutions. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Betadine, Nolvacin, or chlorhexidine solutions are pretty common. And those are used often if we're worried about bacterial contamination. With, with any wound with a horse, uh, that's probably something that we're worried about. So we'll talk about which one of those to use. So how do we flush it? A lot of times you'll see veterinarians using a syringe with a needle to flush a wound. Okay, and so over here on the right side of the, um, on the left side, you're right, uh, is a picture of a 35cc syringe, and below that is a green needle, which is an 18-gauge needle. And the reason those are specific is they've figured out through research that that's the, that needle with the syringe creates the exact ideal amount of pressure to flush a wound. It's not too much that it's damaging the tissue. It's not too little that it doesn't have enough force to knock off the bacteria from the back. And so when you attach your needle, you're not actually sticking the horse with the needle. You're just holding it back off and spraying it. And it's a, a great way to clean it. You can get both of these from your veterinarian. Another option to do that is have a handheld spray bottle that you can change the nozzle on it to a strong stream and just and spray it on it. Not as good as the syringe and the needle, but still pretty good and easy to carry with you in your, or have in your tap room or um, in your trailer. And then lastly, just a good old hose. If you've got a wound that's just really cut and contaminated and full of dirt, rinsing it off with a, clean, a garden hose is, is perfectly okay until we have a chance to get there and clean it. Flushing, easy, three to five minutes usually is adequate amount of time, and we want to avoid excessive pressure. I mean, if, if you've got something that has way too much pressure, you actually can damage the tissues, or you can drive debris and bacteria deeper into the wound. So you just want to avoid having something that's too strong. So when we clean a wound, um, often you'll see we use a lot of gauze or soft cotton. That's two great um, things to clean wounds with. And many times we'll have two containers. So we'll have a container that has sterile saline in one side, and we'll often have a container that has just a dilute antiseptic solution in it. And so what we like to do is just rotate back and forth between those. Use the dilute antiseptic solution for a little while. Circular motion is the best motion to clean the wound, and then grab some of the sterile saline from that and rinse it. Go back and forth, and then you finish. Your last one is just a good rinse with the sterile saline. Okay? 
And that circular motion does a good job. It doesn't hurt the tissues, but it is enough force and pressure to be able to clean off the debris that's there and the bacteria that's there. What not to use? <laughs> we, we could talk forever on this, but you, you know, obviously our, our farm stores, our retail stores are full of products that you can use on wounds. We've all seen those. We've all looked at the labels. And then some of the labels look great, and some are, uh, are pretty convincing. Many of those don't have any you know, research or evidence behind them um, as far as their benefit to the wound. Many of them do have been shown through research to be actually damaging to tissue, be too concentrated, um, and actually can slow wound healing. When I'm talking to horse owners about things to put on wounds, I keep it really simple. Saline, water, maybe some neosporin, and that's about it, until the veterinarian has a chance to get there and look at it. The ones that really can get you into trouble are those oil-based or the thick sprays, aerosol sprays, and this kind of thing. You know, I, I don't want to call out products. Antiseptic soaps, so the, the thick sud soaps um, on open wounds uh, can be damaging and sometimes can make the wound healing difficult. And then heavy ointment, big things like thick ecthamol, those kind of things that you just, just basically suffocate the wound and put all over top of the area, uh, again, have been shown time and time again with research to inhibit the wound healing. So keep it simple, rinse with water. Um, if you want to put a little bit of ointment on it, just a you know, triple antibiotic or uh, neosporin on the surface is perfectly fine until we get there, we have a chance to get, look at it. So, any questions about that? So these are two of the most common products that you probably have seen on the shelves or seen veterinarians use. The top one, the blue solution, is called Nolvacin, a chlorhexidine solution. The brown solution down below is Betadine solution. Both are great. The most common thing that horse owners don't know is that even if it says on the label to apply these directly to the wounds, both of these off the shelf are too concentrated to put on any wound. Okay? So you always need to dilute them. Okay? And so I put the dilutions up here. Nolvacin solution is diluted one part Nolvacin to 40 parts water, and Betadine is 1 to 10. So the Betadine ends up being kind of a weak tea appearance, and the Nolvacin solution is kind of a light blue sky but if you're dipping some cotton or some gauze into it to clean a wound, you want to make sure it's diluted. If you're spraying it out of a bottle or a syringe, you want to make sure it's diluted. Okay? And that way it's still going to have great antibacterial properties, but not be too concentrated for the wound that you're going to potentially do. My preference of these two is I just like Nolvacin. I like chlorhexidine. It's just cleaner to work with. It doesn't stain stuff. You can get it on your clothes. It's okay. Um, I think it's just easier. But Betadine has been around forever and works really well too. Now that we've talked about kind of the lacerations and the wounds and, and uh, taking care of those, bandaging obviously is something that's really important. And this is something that, of course, we could talk about for hours and hours but, um, and have you know, labs and, and that, that would be great. But some of the basic things that I want you guys to take home tonight is when you're using bandages, obviously we want to use bandages that are clean and dry. Dry is really important because putting on a moist bandage could potentially set the horses up for developing wound sores at the, at the site. Uh, we talked already about cleaning wounds, removing the dirt, removing the debris, and then afterwards you can use just a dry, clean towel or paper towels or something to try to dry it well and dry the hair around it before you're going to put a bandage on. And a lot of times our goal for you guys is bandaging is not that it looks that great, it's just a chance to cover it until you get a chance to get there. Okay. Um, that way it just doesn't get more dirt or debris into it, or if it's bleeding, you're going to help some of that be absorbed and stuff. So don't worry too much about how it looks, but just that you get something on it and get it covered. 
We'll talk a little bit about the different layers, but it's important when we do these bandages that we have a nice, soft, thick cotton layer on the bandage to protect the leg that's underneath. And there were a couple of these in the back for handouts, so some of you might have picked up, but this just kind of runs the order of how we like to do bandages. And I'll briefly talk about this, but you can see in the upper left-hand corner, so there's a small laceration on the front of the cannon bone. And the first bandage that we like to put on there is a Telfa pad or a non-stick bandage. Okay, and that's important because when you're taking off the bandage, you want to just be able to remove it easily and not have, you know, take any healthy tissue or healthy cells with it. After you put the Telfa pad on, we're just using just a light gauze. We're wrapping that around the leg. And this is one of the things to practice with your veterinarian. Have them see you do this so they can kind of walk you through this. Um, we like you to wrap the same direction around the leg. And the reason that is, and you want to do that for each of the layers, is that if you put one layer on one direction, and then you're like, I can't remember what I did, and then you put the next one on the opposite direction, you actually can loosen the bandage that's underneath it. So you want to do the same direction on each bandage layer all the way out. That way each of them stays at the same pressure. Okay? So gauze, and then you'll see the next layer down there at five is a cotton wrap, padded wrap over top of that, followed by either a vet wrap, or a cotton wrap or a polo wrap. And we like to leave a little bit of cotton at the top and the bottom, and that's just a protective measure so that if some of the bandage wraps over, it doesn't rub on their leg and potentially injure their leg. What are the dangers of having an improper bandage? And again, my goals for you guys tonight is to get some of this information, practice this at home, but the key is we just want you to get something covered on the wound. That's most important until we can get a chance to get there and then put a proper bandage on after we're done cleaning. One thing that you can see is if you put a bandage on too tight, it may all of a sudden start being more sore, more lameness. Sometimes it'll increase the heat. We've seen bandages, you know, if you put them on the leg and they're too tight, there's swelling that develops up above it. And that's because it's inhibiting the circulation that's going through there. And so these are some of the things just to kind of keep in mind so that we don't potentially make the original problem worse. Um, so again, just like the vital signs, it's just something to practice, get used to doing. Um, so that in an emergency situation, you guys are ready and you can do this pretty easy. Worked our way through the lacerations. Now let's talk about some of the other emergency situations that can happen with horses. So foreign body penetrations. This is worth just speaking a couple minutes about. Um, our horses, you know, they sometimes can find it. Sticks, nails, those kind of things. They'll, they'll pick them up. They'll get them stuck in their feet, their chest, their legs, any of those kind of things. And what we want to do, the first thing, what do you want to do? You want to grab it and pull it out. I mean, that's, our horses are in pain, they're hurt, that's what, that makes sense. Many times, if it's possible, we like you to leave those in until the veterinarian, until we can get there and have a chance to look at it. And the foot is a great example of that. If a horse gets a nail in the foot and you pull that nail out, then we have no idea what direction that nail went or how deep that nail went. It's very difficult for us to tell. And that tells us everything about the prognosis of what's happening. When we get there, the nail's still in the foot, we'll take a quick x-ray here and we'll look at it and we can see how far it went. You know, was it back here? Did it go into the navicular bursa? Did it stick into the bone? Was it just in the heel bulb or back up here in the lamina in areas that we don't worry as much about, okay? But when that is pulled out of there, we, it's very difficult to tell which way it is. Now obviously, if your horse has a nail in the foot and they're stepping on it and it's making it worse and going deeper and deeper, then maybe you need to pull it. Maybe there's no option. But many times when you find them, they're already bent over and look just like this. And they're not going to go any deeper. And the best thing you can do is just throw a cotton bandage on the bottom of the foot, keep it padded until we can get there and take a chance to look at it. 
Doc, have you ever had anybody bring in a horse with the nails still in them? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. <laughs> After I've educated them. <laughs> so we're trying to change that. <laughs> but that's just one example. The other examples, of course, are you know sticks that may be stuck in shoulder or muscle or, or wounds. And the danger with pulling them out is potentially could cause more damage. And, of course, the other danger is it could open up a vessel and start bleeding pretty significantly. Use common sense. You guys can do that well. If it makes sense, if you can keep it there or you can stabilize it, that'd be great. Okay, bleeding. This is the other thing, of course, that, that we get pretty excited about. Lacerations on legs or feet, and they can, uh, they can bleed pretty significantly. The good news about horses is that they actually can lose a significant amount of blood before they get into trouble. So, and, and that's far above what you guys feel comfortable with, but trust me, they can lose quite a bit, okay? Now, this is where the bandaging comes in and is really important, okay? This is why you want to have these supplies on here and be able to put a bandage on that and put some pressure. The take-home message from this slide, obviously, that I've underlined is that when you put a cotton bandage on a leg that's been bleeding and it bleeds through, the mistake you make is taking it off and putting a new fresh bandage on. What we want you to do is leave that bandage on and just put more wraps on the outside. Okay, when you take off the bandage that has been bled through, you're going to break some of the blood clots that have already formed underneath that bandage and potentially start it up and it's going to bleed even more. Okay, so just leave the bandages on there. Just keep putting on thicker wraps on the outside until we get a chance to get there. Tourniquets are something that we, you can use in an emergency situation, but we try not to do that. I'd rather you do the bandage first, and then if they just keep you know, bleeding through and can't stop that, then you can put a tourniquet higher up on the but uh, hopefully by that time, your veterinarian is pretty closer. Lameness issues. You know, there's sometimes where you come out and you look at your horse and their toes stepping lamely. Won't put any weight or anything on that at all. And that could be a variety of different things. It may be something simple like a hoof abscess, but it could also be a fracture. And so these are the horses that we like you to obviously keep in the same spot. Don't move them until we have a chance to come and look at them. Uh, take, a, take an x-ray of it or do an exam on it so we can find out what's going on with their leg. Laminitis. How many in the room have experienced laminitis with their horses? Too many hands. But that's, it's, it's an emergency that happens to a lot of horses. The take-home message from this is that um, laminitis is always an emergency. So we want you to be, if you're not aware of this disease and haven't seen it before, laminitis, anything with itis means inflammation. The lamina are inside the foot, so it's the tissue between the hoof wall in the foot and the bone. And when diseases happen that cause inflammation in that, obviously there's nowhere for that tissue to swell. And it's full of nerve supplies, and, and it causes tremendous amount of pain. So horses often affects their front feet the worst, and so the classic clinical sign for laminitis is they rock back on their heels to try to take the pressure off their toes. These are some of the things that we see that cause it. Probably the most common is the first one, the carbohydrate overload, so eating too much grain or eating too much lush green grass. Any of those other conditions and many more can potentially cause it. But what I want you guys to remember tonight is that if you ever see signs of this and see them rocking back on their feet and taking you know, the pressure off of their front feet, immediately call. Okay, Because the sooner we treat these, a lot of these we can turn around and save. But you know, minutes, hours make a difference in treatment for these. So call us right away. Eye injuries. Um, this is another one where I say every eye injury or every eye condition is an emergency, period, or exclamation mark. <laughs> okay? Um, they may be simple. It may be um, something that, that's very easily treated. But the issue with eyes is that they're very fragile, as we know, and they can 
go south very quickly. So if you see something, it's 7, 8 o'clock at night, and your, your horse is squinting a little bit, and you're wondering, well, maybe it just got a little dust in there. We'll just see how the horse is in the morning. We never want you to do that. We always want you to pause, okay? Because there could be something stuck in there, a foreign body in the eye, and by the time the morning, the eye could rupture. And once the eye is ruptured, it's gone forever. These are so critical to always call us and at least tell us what's going on, and then we can give you some good instructions as to kind of where to proceed. Typical clinical signs when you see an eye problem in a horse is first thing they'll do is they'll squint, kind of close their eye, maybe a little painful, maybe a little abnormal discharge from the eye can be clear, sometimes yellow or mucousy. Then as the condition develops, you might get a, a cloudy eye or a white eye like this. And this is called corneal edema, which just means that there's fluid that's collecting in our cornea, which normally is clear. But when there's a problem, too much fluid collects there and it makes it cloudy or white. And this is telling us that something is irritating the cornea and causing this problem. Anytime you see something that seems even a little bit off about your horse's eye, always make sure you call us right away and let us know. Okay? Choke. How many have had choke in, in their horses? Okay. A couple of you. So choke in a horse is um, not a blockage of the airway, but choke is a blockage of their food pipe or their esophagus. Okay, and this is they eat, they're eating too fast or they're grabbing their food or something different type of food or maybe they weren't drinking enough uh, water around the time that they were eating and food gets lodged in their um, esophagus. This makes them obviously pretty stressed and uncomfortable. So the classic signs that you'll see is the horses will have their heads out like this, their mouths open, they'll be wrenching and kind of grunting um, just because, just like we would do if there was something stuck in our, in our throat and they're uncomfortable. The next sign you often will see is they'll actually have food coming. They'll have food coming out of their nostrils, okay? green saliva and food, because the saliva that normally they just swallow can't go down there because it's blocked, so it's backing back up and coming out of their nose. Okay. The good news about most chokes in horses is that they usually resolve on their own, and or they resolve with you know fairly minimal treatment. Some take us hours and hours to resolve, but most of the time they, they do pretty well. So the general take home message from this is always call us, let us know kind of what's happening. We may tell you, take away their food, take away their water, give them you know, half hour, give them an hour just to kind of see how they're doing. And then if they're continuing to choke, then we'll come take a look at it. And sometimes we'll come look at them immediately. But this is something that you should be able to recognize um, is what's happening, so we can kind of give your veterinarian some more information. So if choke occurs, I think we've covered these already, contact your veterinarian. We like you to take the food and water away um, so they don't potentially eat or drink more. Um, stay calm, if possible. Lowering their head down helps. Get some of that saliva and some of that fluid out. One of the risks that we worry about with choke is aspiration pneumonia. So they can get some of that fluid back in their lungs. That's obviously a bad thing. Um, so we want to avoid that by trying to keep their head down. We don't want you to try to move anything from the horse's mouth, and certainly don't try to force anything down their throat to try to undo the blockage until we have a chance to get there and help you. Okay, allergic reactions. Um, you know, these can happen to any of our horses anytime. Um, that can be from something as simple as bee stings, it can be allergies, it can be snake bites. But usually the only time this is life-threatening is if they have significant swelling of their face and their nostrils where it could potentially occlude their ability to breathe. And that's, that can be life-threatening. Uh, but most of the time, it just aggravates them. They develop hives, they're itchy, they're uncomfortable. Fairly easily treated. Your veterinarian in a short period of time always call them, especially if you start seeing the swellings of the nose 
things like that. Snake bites, one of the emergency things that I had that we put um, when we were in Eastern Oregon, all of, all of my horse owners had in their kits either small tubes of um, cut hose or small tubes of plastic so that in an emergency situation, if they were struck on the nose and it starts swelling dramatically, they could stick that actually in the nostril and it would keep the nostrils open. And so you were there and ready until we had a chance to get there. Once those close, if we're not there to do a tracheotomy, they won't make it. Something to think about if you've got snakes or you have significant swelling in the nose. Colic. Many of you have probably experienced colic before. It's important to know the typical signs. For those of you who aren't familiar with colic, it's just a, a term for abdominal pain in the horse. And it can be lots of different signs. Just like us, when we hurt or we're cramping, you want to lay down, you want to fold up. They pace up and down. Heart rate will go up. Respiratory rate will go up. They'll sweat. Most common sign is they don't want to show any signs of eating off their food. Um, those are kind of the classic signs. So this is really important to be able to be aware of this and recognize this so that you can give us a call uh, right away. So thinking about some of the things to do if you notice that your horse is colicking until we have a chance to get there and look at them. Always call us right away so we can give you some ideas and some information about what's going on. It's best to remove the feed from them. A little bit of water is acceptable, but some horses will go through periods of pain and colic and some will even want to eat. Um, even if they have an obstruction within their intestinal tract. So the last thing we want them to do is continue to eat until we've corrected that problem or at least got medication in there to help them. So take away their food. Never try to attempt to pass you know, any water, medications, mineral oils, or anything by the mouth or nasogastric tube. Even if you could get them to swallow some of that, there's no way you can get enough volume down there to really make a difference. And the chances are that you're stressed, and the horse is anxious that potentially they may ask for and even a small you know, teaspoon of mineral oil in their lungs and that can be lethal to them. So it's best just to wait until we get a chance to get there until we can pass the nasogastric tube. I've had horse owners try to pass tubes before and I've had them put them in the lung and give fluid down there. You know, and that obviously is, is scary but we pass a lot of nasal gastric tubes all the time, and we can make it look like we can have it down in a couple seconds sometimes. And so it is very difficult to do, and it's very easy to get it in the wrong spot. So we never want you to take the chance of doing that on your own. Don't give the horse any medications until the veterinarian arrives. So what's the most common treatment that we give for a colic? Banamine. Okay. Does anybody know the danger why we don't like you to give banamine until we arrive? What's that? They don't know what's wrong. Good, good point. So I can take a horse that's colicking that has a small intestinal twist and has a heart rate of 90 and give them a full dose of banamine, bring their heart rate down in the 30s and 40s, look pretty good, and maybe even start eating. So if you do that before I get there, I'm going to look at the horse and maybe think, hey, everything looks pretty good. This isn't so bad. I may even do a rectal exam and the small intestinal twist is too far forward. I can't reach it. So I'm like, well, you know, the rectal feels pretty good. The heart rate and temperatures are pretty good. I think we're okay. We're just going to do some treatment and watch this. Versus if I had seen that horse before and had a heart rate of 90, we would have obviously been doing things more aggressively and treatment more aggressively and probably maybe thinking about going to a hospital right away because that small intestine, once it's twisted, is dying. And minutes to hours make a difference in that. So now sometimes you'll call us up and we'll recommend that you get banned always want you to call us first before you do that um, so that you don't potentially cover up those signs. If your horse is trying to roll, keep them walking. 
it's okay to let them rest. We don't want to walk them until they're absolutely exhausted. The idea is I, we don't like them to lay down and roll. Um, so if you can keep them walking, but if they'll just rest, just let them be. So that's kind of the take-home stuff. So the big things that we want you to do is practice on those vital signs, practice on your bandaging, you know, work on recognizing these. There's obviously lots of resources online to read about colic and lacerations and those kind of things to, to familiarize yourself with that. But hopefully this was useful to give you some ideas. So if you see these things, you know, give us a call or you're ready to get talk. So. That'll do it for this week. Thanks to Dr. Tolley of Bakersfield Large Animal Veterinary Hospital and Dr. Jeff Hall of Zoetis Corporation for inviting us to this presentation. You can subscribe to the Woe Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and you'll never miss an episode. Stay in touch. Woe Podcast is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And consider checking our Patreon page and supporting the Woe Podcast. We hope to add more good stuff and continue to bring you entertaining and informative podcasts. Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com, then forward slash John Herrer, all one word. Or simply go to Woe Podcast and find the Patreon button. That's the easiest way. And if you need more, you can join our mailing list at woepodcast.com. We'll keep you up to date on everything happening at the Woe Podcast. And I'll send you some of my favorite horsemanship tips, things you can do to build a better relationship with your horse with just a few minutes practice. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please keep sharing our show about horses and horsemanship with your friends. And until next time, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.